Due to the graphic nature of this murder case, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes dramatizations and discussions of violence and murder that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. At 2.30 a.m. on July 10, 1923, the night porter of the Savoy Hotel paid a visit to the fourth floor. The porter... John Paul Beatty was there to tell the occupants of Suite 41 to quiet down. The couple's regular screaming matches had become a constant disturbance to the hotel's employees, not to mention the other guests. John admonished the couple to lower their voices, but neither of them would listen. The woman was screaming in French. The man kept pointing to a scratch on his face, accusing the woman of hurting him. Finally, John gave up trying to calm them down. He left the couple, still arguing, and walked back toward the elevators, intending to fetch the manager. After turning a corner in the hallway, John heard three loud pops ring out behind him. He raced back to Suite 41, running straight towards the sound of gunfire. Welcome to Solved Murders, True Crime Mysteries, a Spotify original from ParCast. I'm your host, Carter Roy. And I'm your host, Wendy McKenzie. Every Wednesday, we step into the world of true crime's most fascinating murder cases and tell the tale of how real-life detectives closed the case. You can find all episodes of Solved Murders and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free exclusively on Spotify. This is our first episode on Marguerite Alibert. This week, we'll talk about how Marguerite rose from a lower-class Parisian family to become a woman of wealth and influence. Her extravagant lifestyle culminated in an ill-fated romance with an Egyptian millionaire named Ali Kamal Fahami Bey. In part two, we'll learn how a fatal confrontation ended the marriage. We'll also talk about the murder trial that ensued and its effect on some of the world's most powerful individuals. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. The Hargan women seem to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God, this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. In the early morning hours of July 10th, 1923, 32-year-old Marguerite Alibert was found standing over the body of her dead husband, her baby Browning 25 caliber pistol, a literal smoking gun, lay at her feet. She seemed stunned to find herself in this position. She immediately broke into sobs, repeating the words, What have I done, my dear, in her native French. She hovered over the body, trying to touch him, reaching out to stroke his face. Finally, the night manager of the Savoy Hotel guided her back into her suite to wait for the authorities. The night manager, Arthur Marini, wasn't quite sure what to make of this dazzling woman. Despite the ghastly circumstances, she cut a glamorous figure, still dressed in the white satin gown she had worn to the theater earlier. Although she wasn't actually royalty, Marguerite was so rich that members of the press would later refer to her as a princess. Adorned with expensive jewelry and the finest clothes, Marguerite looked the part. She had come a long way from humble beginnings. Marguerite was born on December 9, 1890, though in later years she often adjusted her birth date, asserting that she was two to five years younger than her actual age. She grew up in Paris, France, the daughter of a handsome cab driver and a cleaning woman. This was another area where she later stretched the truth, claiming her father was a law clerk and her mother a hat maker. Marguerite's early life was marked by tragedy. One afternoon when she was watching her four-year-old brother, he ran out into the street and was hit by a carriage. He was killed in the accident. According to some family legends, Marguerite's parents blamed her for the boy's death. They were so overcome with their grief... They sent Marguerite to go live in a convent. Although it may have been a punishment, Marguerite benefited from the care of the nuns. She received a good education and was trained in music and singing. She stayed at the convent until she was in her early teens. When she was 15, the nuns sent her to live with a wealthy family, the Longluas, perhaps to work as a maid. But her position was thrown into jeopardy a year later when Marguerite became pregnant. The identity of the baby's father was not clear. Marguerite told more than one story about the man who impregnated her. In one version of events, he was a childhood friend. In another account, he was an Englishman from a distinguished family living in India. Whatever the case, it was too much of a scandal for the Longlois family. Please don't send me away, monsieur. How could I not? You disgraced yourself. I don't have anywhere to go. You must convince the young man to marry you. I begged him to marry me. His family won't allow it. They say I'm too poor, but he loves me. I know it. And do you see what misfortune love has brought you? (laughs) I'm sorry. It's too late for that. You'll have to go back to your mother. (laughs) She won't have me back. That doesn't surprise me, given how you've shamed her. But that's none of my concern. 
I want you out of this house at once. Marguerite was released from her position in the summer of 1906. A few months later, on January 21st, 1907, Marguerite's daughter, Raymond, was born. Marguerite sent the infant to live on a farm in central France while she stayed in Paris and tried to earn enough money to survive. Marguerite had limited skills and few connections, but she did have striking good looks at her disposal. She pursued one of the only options available to her, becoming a sex worker for a brothel owner named Madame Denard. Dinar wanted to make sure Marguerite was equipped with the skills necessary to entertain the highest class of clientele. Are you listening? Yes, madame. Watch the way you carry yourself, your posture. Take a turn around the room. Like this, madame? Very good. But you must not smile so frankly. Your expression should invite, not intimidate. It's in the eyes. Yes, you have it. See? It isn't so difficult. Yes, madame. Keep walking. Madame Denar gave Marguerite lessons in music, fashion, and speech. She later said, It was me that made a sort of lady of her. Though she came from a working-class background, Marguerite excelled and learned to carry herself like a high-society woman. This, along with her beauty and good humor, made her a charming companion for prominent society men looking for amusement. Around this time, 16-year-old Marguerite attracted the attention of 40-year-old André Malaire, a handsome and wealthy stable owner. Malaire introduced her to horse riding, which she took to with eager passion. You are a wonderful rider, Marguerite. Well, my dear, I never feel more at home than when I'm mounted atop a sturdy beast. <laughs> a woman of singular talent. Marguerite's flirtation with André blossomed into a passionate love affair. The relationship was serious enough that Marguerite began to refer to herself as Madame Malaire, taking André's last name, even though he was married to someone else at the time. Their relationship continued for the next seven years. André kept her comfortable, buying her an apartment in northwest Paris near the Arc de Triomphe. He took her on exotic vacations all over the world. He often invited her to stay with him in his villa in Bordeaux. But André wasn't her only admirer, and Marguerite was happy to continue entertaining other men and earning money as a sex worker in her free time. This made André jealous and he and Marguerite fought frequently about her other dalliances. In 1913, after a summer vacation in Duville, Marguerite and André had a heated argument. Marguerite was so angry she ran to the stables and set André's horses loose to wander around the estate. After this incident, the couple decided to part ways. Although they weren't officially married, André agreed to pay her a settlement of 200,000 francs, Marguerite used the money to buy a glamorous home with horses of her own. She lived a life of luxury, attending shows, and dining at the best restaurants. With her expensive lifestyle, Marguerite was careful not to neglect her main source of income. She parted ways with Madame Denard, but joined the ranks of another prominent brothel owner, Madame Sonia du Teval. Over the next few years, she continued to cultivate relationships with the most wealthy and powerful men in French society. As the country embroiled itself in the throes of World War I, 
Marguerite was a cheerful distraction for the military captains, financiers, and politicians in Paris. And she soon caught the eye of a man with an even more distinguished background, Prince Edward VIII, the heir to the British throne. In 1917, Prince Edward was serving as a captain in the British Army. That April, he took advantage of a three-day leave and arranged a trip to Paris. On April 23rd, Edward's friend, French aristocrat, Francois Dubraté, invited the prince to lunch at the extravagant Hôtel du Crillon. Francois thought Edward could use some amusement during his break from the brutalities of war, so he also invited another guest to dine with the prince, Marguerite Alibert. Excuse my poor French. Oh, not at all, your highness. You speak very well. As long as I can get my point across. The best points are made with no words at all, I think. <laughs> the two hit it off and spent many hours together over the next few days. Edward was disheartened when their brief time together came to an end. He later wrote, How perfectly bloody this endless war is. Of course, those three days' bliss in Paris have made it all the more bloody. At the end of his leave, Edward left Paris and Marguerite behind and returned to his regiment. But their story wasn't over. In fact, their affair would shape the next few years of their lives and arguably the future of Europe. Coming up, the Prince of England chances scandal in pursuit of forbidden love. Hi listeners, Carter here with a quick but special announcement. The newest Spotify original from Parcast is unlocking the mysteries of superstitions. If you've ever broken a mirror or walked under a ladder, you know the feeling. You've just doomed yourself to bad luck. But have you really been marked for misfortune? Every week on Superstitions, take a closer look at eerie, almost mystical beliefs and practices that might just have the power to change our fates. Can holding your breath while passing a cemetery save your life? Will carrying a rabbit's foot bring you luck? How can you go through life always avoiding the number 13? And why should you try? They may seem mystical or even completely illogical, but one thing is certain. You ignore them at your own risk. You can find and follow Superstitions free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. To hear more ParCast shows, search ParCast Network in Spotify's search bar and find a growing slate of thrilling new series to enjoy. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some... The gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. And now, back to our story. In 1917, the First World War caused incalculable suffering across Europe. But for 26-year-old Frenchwoman Marguerite Alibert, it was the most exciting time of her life. 
As a sophisticated sex worker with an elite clientele, Marguerite enjoyed all the privileges of upper-class society with few of the constraints. She felt free to follow her whims and passions, even when they went against the moralities of the era. This freedom allowed her to pursue a romance with one of the most important political figures in the world, England's Prince Edward VIII. After their brief introduction in April of 1917, they began exchanging letters. These letters were an outlet for Edward to gripe about the war, his family, and the traditions he longed to rebel against. In July, Edward joined his parents, the king and queen, on a visit to France. It was a political trip meant to encourage the spirit of unity between the Allies and their war effort. For Edward, it was also another chance to be with Marguerite. She was spending the summer in Deville, a coastal commune in northern France. Whenever he could escape his royal duties, Edward joined her there. Marguerite reportedly did not charge the prince for the pleasure of her company, but he showed his gratitude with expensive gifts, jewelry and perfume. In return, Marguerite captivated him with her charm and skills in the bedroom. Cherie. Come in. Shut the door, my dear. I'm so happy you could get away. Oh, I apologize. I didn't expect that you would have company. Oh, no need to apologize. You must meet my dear friend, Suzanne. She is the most wonderful actress. Your Highness, it's a great honor. Good evening. I look forward to seeing you perform. She will be happy to show you some of her talents tonight. Yes, I think the three of us will have a lovely time together. Edward was still under Marguerite's spell when he was deployed to Italy later that year. The pair continued to exchange letters, but neither of them seemed to consider the relationship to be exclusive. Edward reportedly courted several other young women while keeping up correspondences with Marguerite. In early 1918, Edward went home to London for a month-long leave. One night, he attended a house party near Belgrave Square. As the partygoers drank and socialized, they suddenly received warning of an air raid. Everyone was advised to take cover. The party hosts invited pedestrians to come inside to seek shelter in their basement. Among these strangers was a beautiful young woman named Winifred Dudley Ward, known to everyone as Frida. She was the estranged wife of William Dudley Moore, a member of Parliament. Party guests waited for several tense moments, unsure whether bombs were about to start falling. Then, to their relief, they were given the all-clear signal. The party resumed, even more boisterous than before. Prince Edward, still buzzing with adrenaline from the raid, struck up a conversation with Frida, and before long, he was romancing her. Soon enough, Prince Edward forgot all about his Parisian love affair. He was too infatuated with his new paramour. After his leave, he returned to Italy, where he kept up his habit of writing love letters. But now, they were to Frida. By the end of the war, in the fall of 1918, Prince Edward decided to completely break ties with Marguerite. But she wasn't interested in going quietly. After all, she had acted as the prince's close confidant for months. She still possessed his letters in which he griped about the war and railed against his father, the king. Marguerite wrote to Edward, reminding him that she could use these letters to blackmail him, if she wished. 
Dear Edward, it is disheartening that you find me such an easy habit to break. I hope you might at least grant me your compassion during this difficult time. I need your support now more than ever. It has been so taxing to guard your secrets. I would hate to let anything slip in a moment of weakness. Do we understand each other, dear? Marguerite's threat rattled Edward. He complained to friends, cursing himself for not being more discreet. But lucky for him, Marguerite was too savvy to give up her only bargaining chip so quickly. She let Edward stew in his fear of extortion, but she held off on exposing him for the time being. Marguerite had other things on her mind. In late 1918, she had to go to the hospital for a surgical procedure. While she was recovering there, she met another patient in the hospital, an Air Force officer named Charles Laurent. Laurent, the son of an incredibly wealthy businessman, came at an opportune time for Marguerite. At 28 years old, she perhaps realized that her career as a sex worker might soon be coming to an end. She was looking for a more stable arrangement. Laurent wasn't married, and he didn't have any royal constraints holding him back. And like many men, Laurent was quickly enchanted with Marguerite's beauty and magnetism. He knew Marguerite's history of sex work, but it didn't bother him. He was a quiet, pensive man without the jealous temper of Marguerite's past lovers. After recovering together in the hospital, Laurent began courting her. Marguerite happily returned his affections. You have no idea how happy I am to be out of the house. I'm not made for convalescing in bed. If you feel tired, if it's too much for you, tell me at once. I would be happy to escort you home. Oh, I wouldn't dream of leaving. On May 2nd, 1919, Marguerite married Charles Laurent. Marguerite had spent her 20s acquiring wealth and making influential connections, but this marriage raised her social standing in French society. She had power as a sex worker, but as the wife of a prominent businessman, she had legitimacy. But the marriage got off to a bad start. The fighting began almost immediately on their honeymoon in Venice. Marguerite hoped to attend all the best parties and balls in the floating city, but her husband wasn't much of a partier. Laurent was more likely to attend operas and concerts, events Marguerite found boring. You're upset over nothing. I'm not. It's rude to leave an event early. We'll be lucky if we're ever invited to another party. What does it matter? It matters to me. Where are you going? I'm going to bed. Oh, my God, I'm going to scream. I'm married to the dullest man in the world. Scream if you must, but try to be quick about it. We do have neighbors. Ah! Things didn't improve when they returned to Paris. A few months after the wedding, Laurent was appointed to a diplomatic position in Japan. Marguerite had no interest in leaving her life in Paris, so they decided to separate. Although the marriage didn't work out, the union was still a financially successful endeavor for Marguerite. She received a hefty settlement after the divorce. She could now afford to splurge on an even fancier apartment, household staff, a stable with 10 horses, a full-time groom, and a chauffeur. She also felt secure enough to send for her daughter, Raymond, 
who had been living in the country for over a decade. But the girl didn't stay in her care long. Marguerite didn't have much experience parenting. Some reports even suggested that she was jealous of her young daughter's beauty. Whatever the case, Marguerite decided it would be best to send Raymond to an elite boarding school in London. Marguerite was then free to pursue her next conquest, a rich Chilean businessman named Juan de Astoreca. But the relationship was just as tumultuous as Marguerite's past love affairs. On one occasion, Marguerite and Juan were dining at a restaurant when Marguerite got into an argument with the staff about the price of the meal. This is absurd. Last month, I paid a third of the price for the same dish. Madame, the price of the fish changes with the market. Don't you dare try to cheat me. Juan, what do you have to say? Marguerite, be quiet, will you? Don't you talk to me that way! Marguerite was so incensed that Juan had the audacity to silence her, she pulled out her horsewhip and smacked him across the face. Juan stormed out and climbed in their limousine, waiting outside. When Marguerite followed him, he wouldn't let her in the car. Open this door! Juan! I swear to God, if you don't let me in... Absolutely not! When Juan refused to unlock the doors, Marguerite walked around to the driver's side and asked the chauffeur to get out. She then slipped behind the wheel herself and drove them home. As their relationship progressed, these heated public arguments occurred more and more frequently. After a blow-up, Marguerite and Juan often took a few months apart while their tempers cooled. During one such time apart, Marguerite left Paris and vacationed in Cairo with her daughter. While there, she attended a party at the Semiramis Hotel. That night, she encountered a rich Egyptian millionaire, 10 years her junior. His name was Ali Kamal Fahami Bey. Mademoiselle, I've always believed that all the most elegant ladies come from Paris. You've proven me correct. <laughs> High praise. But Paris can't compete with Cairo for hospitality. You haven't yet seen what we are capable of. Oh? You have my attention, sir. Will you allow me to throw a party in your honor? Join me tomorrow evening. Allow me to show you real Cairo hospitality. A party? Yes. There will be dancing aboard my yacht, music in the moonlight, flowers, everything beautiful. Especially you. Such a generous offer, monsieur. But I'm afraid my schedule won't permit such an indulgence. Perhaps another time. Such a shame. Marguerite was flattered by the attention, but she still had Juan de Ostareca back home. She also heard rumors that Ali was popular with women but could sometimes be a cruel lover. She declined his invitation that night. But Ali Kamal Fahami Bey didn't give up easily. The next time he met Marguerite Alibert, he decided that he wasn't going to let her slip away again. Coming up, Marguerite embarks on a new romance with deadly consequences. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Now, back to the story. By 1921, 30-year-old socialite Marguerite Alibert lived an extravagant life in Paris. She was highly skilled at seducing powerful, rich men who were willing to pay a fortune to keep her company. After crossing paths with some of the most illustrious men in Europe, Marguerite caught the attention of a 20-year-old Egyptian millionaire, Ali Kamal Fahami Bey, while she was vacationing in Cairo. Ali's father had made a fortune in the Egyptian cotton industry. Both his parents died young, and Ali took over the business at the age of 16. He was able to expand it, particularly during the booming Great War years. And Ali wasn't just rich. He was also dashing and exciting. He loved parties and dancing. He collected fancy cars and raced them through the city streets with abandon. He enthusiastically chased women and pursued romantic flings. His conspicuous pleasure-seeking behavior made him a popular subject of gossip. A few tabloids hinted that he was open to relationships with men as well as women. There's no evidence that Ali was bisexual, but he did maintain a close relationship with his male secretary, Saeed Enani. Ali likely viewed Saeed as a mentor figure, since he had lost his parents at such a young age. He didn't appreciate the lurid speculation about their relationship, and perhaps these rumors motivated him to try to cultivate a more traditional, wholesome image. By 1921, Ali had expressed an interest in settling down and starting a family. It was around this time that he met Marguerite Alibert. Although she rejected his advances, he didn't forget her. The following spring, he decided to travel through Europe. His itinerary included a stay in Paris. Both Ali and Marguerite loved festivities, dancing, and nightlife. It was inevitable that their paths crossed again. On July 30, 1922, Marguerite and Ali were reintroduced by a mutual friend while lunching at the luxurious Hotel Majestic. Sparks flew, and Marguerite seemed to forget her earlier misgivings about Ali. The universe has brought us together again. You believe in destiny? I'm not sure about that, but I don't believe in wasting opportunities. I hardly got the chance to know you last time we spoke. What about now? I believe my schedule is free. Within days, Marguerite essentially moved into Ali's hotel suite, she was still technically in a relationship with Chilean businessman Juan de Ostoreca, but Marguerite had never been in a truly monogamous relationship. She knew Juan probably saw other women as well, so she saw no reason to decline when Ali asked her to accompany him on his travels. The pair visited Biarritz, a French town on the border of Spain. They parted ways briefly while Ali traveled to Italy. He hoped Marguerite would go with him, 
but she thought she had a better chance of holding his interest by playing a little hard to get. It seemed to work. Ali missed Marguerite so much, he quickly returned to France to be with her again. Together, they attended the Second Empire Ball, one of the biggest social events in the country. Afterwards, it was time for Ali to return to Egypt. But by then, he was completely love-struck. He was devastated to leave his new obsession behind. You'll be in my thoughts from the moment I leave this room. I won't be able to forget you. I should hope not. Not after this parting gift. Don't make it any harder to leave, my darling. I can't bear it. Oh, I wish I were going with you. Do it. Come back to Cairo with me. You'll have a palace, servants, everything you desire. All I need is you. Then come with me. Don't try to tempt me, dear. I won't be able to resist. Then give in. If not now, then come this winter. Run away from the cold and let the beautiful sun of Egypt warm you. You're like a poet, Ali. Will you come? I will. Marguerite promised Ali she would visit him in Egypt over the winter. But once he left France and was out of sight, she moved on with her typical ease. She resumed her relationship with Juan de Ostareca. The pair likely took up their usual routine of fighting and making up. All the while, Marguerite received a barrage of messages, letters, and telegrams from the lovesick Ali, who pleaded with her to keep her promise. He even told her he was deathly ill and could only hope to recover by seeing her. In one of his messages, he sent her tickets for a ship voyage to Egypt. Marguerite evidently responded to his overtures, or perhaps she just grew tired of fighting with Juan. In November of 1922, she left Paris and set out for Alexandria, Egypt. Ali was there to greet her upon her arrival. They spent a few days at Ali's seaside villa, then took the train to Cairo. Marguerite made herself comfortable at his palatial mansion. Not long after her arrival, Ali asked her to marry him, and she accepted his proposal. The next few weeks were a whirlwind of preparation. On December 26, 1922, Marguerite and Ali married in a civil ceremony. The newlyweds then celebrated with their usual intensity. They rang in the new year with an all-out bash at Cairo's Shepherd Hotel. But once the party was over, Marguerite discovered that Ali expected her to settle into a more somber routine. Ali's extended family was skeptical about the marriage, and to appease them, Marguerite promised to convert to Islam. They planned to have a religious wedding ceremony a few months later. Marguerite swiftly completed the conversion on January 11, 1923. But although she was prepared to embrace a new religion, she wasn't prepared to change who she was. Ali had fallen hard for her impetuousness and flirtatiousness, but now that they were married, he seemed surprised that she was still the same woman she had always been. Why are you wearing so much perfume? Who was it for? For you, of course. It isn't becoming. I thought you loved this scent. It's not fit for my wife. I apologize. I should have asked for instructions in advance. That isn't such a bad idea. You need training. Training? You can't expect to erase bad habits without practice, darling. How dare you? Watch that tone. And wash off the perfume. 
Soon, Ali and Marguerite began to argue as fiercely as she had with past lovers. Marguerite had always had a fiery temper, which she didn't deny, but she later said that Ollie's capacity for rage surpassed even her own. She declared that he was jealous and controlling. When the time came for the pair to complete their religious marriage ceremony, Marguerite claimed that Ali adjusted their contract to remove her right to a divorce. Marguerite may have exaggerated this claim. It's true that she did not have the right to a divorce under Islamic law. At that time, only the husband was granted this privilege. However, their previous civil marriage contract did grant her a right to a divorce under Egyptian law. Nevertheless, Marguerite may have felt trapped once their religious marriage ceremony was complete. She also missed the nightlife in Paris and the independence of her previous life. When she tried to go out alone, Ali became enraged, convinced that she was cheating on him. Who is he? Don't be ridiculous. A lady does not parade around alone at night. And a gentleman doesn't interrogate his wife. Although it's strange now to think I mistook you for a gentleman. So, this is why you're out chasing other men? You object to my manners? If I were seeing other men, you could hardly blame me. Marguerite later said that Ollie dislocated her jaw after one such altercation, but she gritted her teeth and stuck out the marriage with her husband, especially when he promised her a trip to Europe for the summer. The pair boarded their ship on May 18, 1923. They reportedly fought so much on the voyage, the captain of the ship had to intervene and separate them. But at least Marguerite was heading home. She thought things might calm down once they returned to France, where their love had first flourished. When they got to Paris, they checked into the Hotel Majestic, where they had first gotten to know each other the year before. But if Marguerite hoped that the change of scenery would rekindle their affection, she was wrong. One of her friends later said she was playing with fire and making the prince crazy with jealousy. Ali tried to make Marguerite dress more modestly and keep her from socializing with her old acquaintances and exes, but Marguerite would have none of it. She soon decided enough was enough. She told one friend that they were likely getting a divorce, but she had to lay some groundwork before she pursued such a plan. She reportedly hired a private detective to follow Ali around. Perhaps due to previous rumors, she seemed to think she might catch him in a sexual act with another man. She was smart enough to realize that her own checkered past might be used against her in a divorce proceeding, so she hoped to uncover behavior from her husband so shocking it would overshadow any accusations of infidelity Ali might hurl at her later. In the meantime, the couple continued to brawl with each other, often in front of witnesses in dance halls and hotel lobbies. Both of them owned weapons. Marguerite slept with a gun under her pillow because she reportedly worried that thieves might steal her jewelry. Ali carried a pistol of his own. It was only a matter of time before tragedy struck. After their turbulent time in Paris, Marguerite and Ali continued their travels, crossing the Channel for London. On July 1st, 1923, the pair and their entourage checked into the Savoy Hotel. The couple settled into suite number 41 on the fourth floor. Both hoped for calmer days ahead, 
But Marguerite soon decided that she'd have no peace until Ali was dead. Thanks again for tuning in to Solved Murders. We'll be back next Wednesday with part two of Marguerite Alibert's story. We'll hear how Marguerite got out of her disastrous marriage and used every tool at her disposal in the trial of her life. For more information on the case, we found the book The Woman Before Wallace, Prince Edward, The Parisian Courtesan, and The Perfect Murder by Andrew Rose, extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Solve Murders and all other originals from ParCast for free on Spotify. We'll see you next time. If we live till next time. Solve Murders True Crime Mysteries was created by Max Cutler and is a Spotify original from ParCast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler. Sound design by Michael Langsner with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Joshua Kern. This episode of Solve Murders was written by Christina Pamies with writing assistance by Abigail Cannon. The amazing cast of voice actors includes Rebecca Thomas, Laura Faye Smith, Tom Bauer, and Eddie Lee. It stars Wendy McKenzie and Carter Roy. Remember to follow Superstitions for new episodes featuring our most unusual beliefs. Are they side effects of ancient folklore? or truly the masters of our fates. Look closely and examine the writings on the wall. Superstitions airs every Wednesday free on Spotify. 